How is everybody? Doing good? Good to see you all. It's so great to be together and uh, grace and peace to you guys. It's great to be in the, this room. We've been back in this room a couple weeks now and just hopefully this is post-COVID as we kind of move. I know some of you probably in the medical world are like, just buckle up. But for now, there's a little bit of hope, I think, which is good. And it's so, so great to be back in the same room. Again, I said my name is Drew. Love to meet you uh, after the gathering if we have not met. And I'm going to take some time. We're in uh, a letter right now uh, in the New Testament. We're kind of walking pretty slowly through it all the way up into Easter called the Letter of Galatians. And if you want to turn there with me, we're actually going to be in Galatians 4. Maybe you want to fire on your Bible, um, uh, on your phone or whatever. And that's amazing. That's where we're going to be. A couple things before we get there, though. Um, Obviously, Easter is right around the corner, which is really exciting. And uh, we're going to want to prep you with a couple things for Easter weekend. Obviously, one on Resurrection Sunday. We're going to be in this room for a party. We're going to have some refreshments, hopefully, and just a, a great time gathering together uh, to celebrate Easter and this, this season together. But on Good Friday, last year went really well, even amongst kind of COVID, you know, and the, the pandemic. Uh, we, for the first time, were able to pull off our Good Friday hikes. So what we do is we hike together and we take communion together. And we had, I think, three or four different spots last Good Friday. We're going to do that again. And so we'll have more details rolling out over the next week or so. But we'd love for you to join in with us on that. I know some of the communities will get together, but we'll make sure it's kind of organized that you have an opportunity um, on that morning, probably, for most of the groups uh, to, to hike together, take communion, and just spend some time together just reflecting. Honestly, last year was really meaningful. Great time. We finally had some good weather. And we're able to kind of pull that off and it was I know many of you that participated it was great so just keep those kind of dates in mind as we kind of look forward to Easter and ahead it will come quick and just excited and hopefully again you can join us Resurrection Sunday if you're in town as we just join in back uh, back at Goodwill for the first Easter in a few years together like in person which is great so um, excited about that um, I think that's all. You guys doing good? Everybody doing good? The other thing is just in a couple weeks, we will be um, back in Praxis communities and gearing up for that. So the first Sunday of every morning, we actually spread out throughout the city and join in together. It's a really great time. And we'd love to get you connected in a Praxis community as well um, along the way here. So reach out if, if any of that's interest uh, to you. And if you just go to mypraxis.church get involved, everything is there. Deep breath. How'd that go? That was all right, I think, eh? Pretty good. Announcements? Yeah, it's all good. All right. Galatians. We're in chapter four. Um, there's a guy named David Harvey who's been from Calgary who's been helping. He helped us because we started this series when we were virtual. So he started sharing a little bit and getting the, the ground kind of tilled for us. And then he's been kind of popping back in when we've been in communities together, kind of in the virtual deal, watching on your TV and in your living room or whatever, and um, done a great job. Uh, I just want to reiterate the importance of chapter 3 and everything kind of hinging on this idea that Paul is messing with status. I just, we need to catch this big time before we kind of move on. Because Paul's going to develop now the story. He's going to draw again the story of Israel into the moment of the Galatian church, which will be drawn into our moment this morning. Just a reminder for us. But over and over, we're seeing these created categories kind of be broken down. And this would have been, I I can't underestimate how mind-blowing it would have been for somebody to say that how how you look, your status, your socioeconomic status, and male and female, which was so obsessed over in that ancient world, 
is kind of broken down in the church and we are all equal. Brothers and sisters, this is like very subversive news. Now, he joked last week or a couple weeks ago, we don't live in, uh, you know, he was kind of joking, certainly we live in a very different kind of world than a, a, a world obsessed by st- a status, right? Obviously not. We know that maybe certainly we're not walking the ancient hills of Palestine and we're not in the ancient Mediterranean in Galatia. Maybe our world has developed a little bit and there's some things we have at our fingertips, certainly, but there's the reality that we live in this world of trying to climb the ladder. It is masked and maybe not as in your face as in the first century, but a reminder for us that everybody is welcome to the table and that is uncomfortable. It's really uncomfortable. It was uncomfortable in the first century and who was drawn to the table? Jew and Gentile eating together, people from all over the diaspora coming together to eat together and celebrate Jesus together. This is upside down what Paul is calling the church to. Now, and very countercultural. And so that's why we always say here this community should be very countercultural in its approach to status and to power, because Paul just seems to crush that stuff, does he not? The highest credentials as a Jew in, in the uh, Sanhedrin, uh, uh, understudy of Gamaliel, like the highest Jewish rabbi ever, really, something to ever walk the face of the earth. And yet he is now marked by this cruciform life, by this life that says, I. I I bear my cross every single day. I die to myself every single day, which anybody picking that up, any Jew even following these teachings would just look at that as bizarro if you're with me. Now we're in verse one in chapter four, and what Paul is gonna do, he's gonna draw here. It's, again, when we pick up these letters, I, I, I've noted, I like to go to the places and spaces that are like bumper sticker worthy, you know, like the Jew-Gentile piece is pretty good, or uh, the fruit of the spirit piece is pretty awesome. There are times, though, with these letters that we've got to kind of wade our way through some very Old Testament, like there's hyperlinks to the Old Testament in a a context here. And this is what Paul does here. Read with me, verse 1. Paul says, what I'm saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. And Paul says to the church, so we are also underage. We were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces. That, I feel like that should be like the name of a death metal band right there. The elemental spirit. If anybody's just going to start that in 2022. Some of us kids back in the day, remember Royal View Church all packing in there for the punk shows. It was great. Elemental spiritual forces of the world. Verse 4. But when the, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Now, welcome first, kind of, you know, 21st century people. Like, we have a bit of chasm, a bit of difference, a bit of a distance from this moment But what Paul is doing here is he is bringing in the story of Israel, and in particular, maybe you don't fully catch it, but a lot of scholars would say you cannot read this little chunk here with going back to this event called the Exodus. If you know, 
Israel, the Hebrew people, were marked and shaped by this thing called the Exodus, where God took them out of slavery under an oppressive king named Pharaoh, in which they were kind of just oppressed for 400 years, making, we kind of get this image in the Old Testament of men of them break, making bricks and just the toil of work that they were put under, under this king named Pharaoh. And God delivers them and takes them out. And if you know the story, obviously the plagues and through the Red Sea and out. And it was a reminder to them that that moment, actually in the law, they were instructed every year to get together and eat a meal and remember this thing through something called the Passover. It was a meal that they would eat together. It's funny, they're actually instructed as they prepare it, there's no leaven in the bread because that takes time. There was like an urgency about this meal as they remembered and celebrated. They would eat, one of the instructions in the law is to eat it, I think, with like your cloak on and your rod in hand and your sandals on because that's just like Hebrew language for let's get the heck out of here. You know what I'm talking about? That's my translation at least. Is that a good one? I think that's pretty good. This picture for the, the Hebrew people that as they eat this meal, they would remember and celebrate and remember what God has done. And here we get a picture that God, uh, God, Paul sorry, is bringing into reality this story and what it means for the people of God. It's interesting. In the Old Testament story, God takes Israel out of slavery and then what does he do 50 days later? Anybody know? Takes them to Sinai and gives, this thing, gives them this thing called the law. And the law was this boundary. And, and I think we've got to be careful to think of it as a bad thing. Sometimes we can paint the law as like a, a, an evil or bad thing in the sense of like, obviously now we know we're kind of set free and we're going to talk about the work of Jesus in this. But for that community in a very barbaric world, it was a boundary for Israel and how they were to live. And there was all sorts of intricacies, 613 laws in there. It, you know, I have trouble making my bed in the morning and stopping at the red light camera at, uh, what is it, at uh, Wonderland. And the anxiety I get at Wonderland and Springbank every time I drive there, because I know there's a red light camera, right? We have these laws, right? This was something that governed and really protected Israel. And you know that the case is built year after year after year for this community through their religious teaching to live according to the law. Pharisees literally, in many ways, thought that the way the kingdom of God was going to come to earth is that they would obey every single law. And so there was this sense of piety and living in and, and kind of, in some ways, that produces good in the sense of wanting to like live towards something, but obviously very twisted in a way in which it very much became a burden. Then there's these people called the scribes who would heap, law. I mean, if 613 isn't enough to, to dump more laws on top of laws, it became a burden. But the picture actually in the, the Old Testament is God bringing Israel out and then giving them the law. Uh, salvation and then this law that leads them. And so really the climax for Israel, hang with me because I think this is important, the climax for Israel was the giving of the Torah to them. It was rescue plus Torah so that really the picture was is that they lived under this law that God could dwell among them, right? This is the picture we get. Obedience, following God. We even get pictures of the fire by night, the cloud by day. You with me? Um, this is a little like, this is a pretty good uh, Sunday school lesson. I should pull out a flannel board and just do all that for us and then put on Charlton Heston in the Ten Commandments and just, it'd be amazing. Some of you are like, Charlton Heston, don't worry about it. It's all good. Um, well, Paul, it, so you have that context and this is what they ate and they breathed. 
Is that the right word? Ate and breathed? Yes, sure. Good English. Um, So now Paul takes kind of this imagery, and here's what he does. He talks about salvation. All throughout the letter, he talks about rescue and God's work. We read it here in Jesus coming and his work and what he does, but there's no Torah. Rather, we get a picture of God. The the picture Paul wants us to, I think, grab hold of is that God is dwelling among his people. Now, think with me. Out of slavery, 50 days later at Sinai, they are given this thing called the law, and over and over, Israel would celebrate that 50-day mark after being taken out of Egypt through a festival called, anybody know? Pentecost. Penta is just like 50. It's 50 days after they were taken out of uh, Egypt, God gave them the law, and this is something they celebrated, right? They celebrated this reality that they are this people of God, uh, this light to the nations. And so every year, people would come and they would descend on Jerusalem for this thing called uh, the, the Festival of Pentecost. Some of us grew up maybe in Pentecostal denominations, and we think like Pentecostal was like kind of our thing, and it's like the Jewish people celebrated Pentecost like year after year after year. Now, why does this matter? You have Israel coming out of Egypt. 50 days later, they get the law. In the New Testament, we have this work of Jesus, the final sacrifice who who gives his life for all of humanity. And what happens 50 days later? We're given the Spirit. We're given the Spirit. And this is actually, this is what Paul now is really going to get into, especially as we talk next week in chapter 5, where we are people, this new covenant people, this new family of God that is marked by the Spirit of God. Um, that in some ways, and you get the language here, and I, David has used this language a little bit, that the, the law was very, kind of the babysitter in a sense. But now we're heirs and we're kind of growing up and we grow into this idea of being led by the Spirit. Now we have the Bible, don't get, please, we have the scriptures that lead us and our truth and you know, we wrestle through this every single week, obviously. But there's this new marker that instead of a burden of a bunch of laws on us, that we are now marked and led by the Spirit, Jesus. That the, the marking here, the imagery, this is what Paul wants us to pick up. Do you feel it a little bit? Little, is that explanation decent? Do you, you feel it in your bones a little? This is what Paul, if you were a Jew in that church in Galatians, and there's all the division around trying to make Gentile believers in the church there do Jewish things like circumcision and Sabbath and kosher laws, all all kosher eating stuff, this would have been, like Paul, this is the way in which he is trying to give his point to this community over and over, that you are not bound by this law. We are people of the Spirit. No more Torah. We're dwelling. God's presence, guys, like when we gather this morning, we come to the bread and cup, we do everything we do. God's presence is among us. This is like, this is so earth-shattering that we don't have to live with laws heaped on us, but we live by the Spirit. And that's why the Bible would, and the Scriptures, especially the New Testament, would lead us to this idea of freedom. Now, we know that freedom, we'll get into it, is not doing everything that we want all of the time. We actually know that that's counter-freedom, and we'll take some time to talk about that at some point. But it's, it's fascinating to me the point that Paul is trying to make. This is really good news, guys, 
that we have the Spirit of God that leads and guides us. And we, uh, just as Israel's picture was salvation in Torah, no Torah in this picture that Paul gives, it's the Spirit. Now, in a world, honestly, and it's, it's fine, there's lots of deconstruction going on. I mean, the mishmash of COVID coming together and the internet exploding the last number of years and everybody having an opinion and say, which is fine, but just remember a couple, couple decades ago, if you wanted to like actually have an idea, you had to like publish a book. Remember those days, like the 90s? If you wanted to like actually let people know stuff, you had to do the hard work of writing a book or an article, which is crazy. In amongst all of it, it's fascinating to me, and I get it, there needs to be deconstruction. There's a lot that's happened in the evangelical world and moment, and we're even seeing this unfold in the last even few weeks with leaders falling and all sorts of things happening. There needs to be a reckoning, don't get me wrong. But it's fascinating when we actually do true deconstruction, one of the things I think this is what Paul is actually doing. This is the sense of, in which Paul and his language is leading people to like a refined truth that yes, Jesus gave his life, that there's the salvation piece which is often missed in, um, in deconstruction partly because we've made it, hey, like pray a prayer and get into heaven when you die, like a really quick thing. And you realize that in the scriptures, the type of salvation that Paul is talking about is cosmic, that the entire world, this entire world is being remade and obviously Jesus' sacrifice is at the center of that. But oftentimes we don't talk about God dwelling with his people by the Spirit as a way in which we can deconstruct or we can actually lead us to a greater picture because this is actually what the Bible is doing. Remember, the presence of God was confined to a tabernacle, a moving roadshow tabernacle. And then a temple, which was destroyed. And then they're trying to sort this out in exile, and they rebuild the temple. And in the Holy of Holies, that's where the high priest would go to sacrifice for the people. He would do all this stuff. And now we get a picture that Jesus has come and tabernacled among us. And the picture is now we're given the Spirit. Why does this matter? Because I think it's an actual progression to show us that this is getting better. God is, follow me, God is not in a box anymore but he's now among us when we gather and he goes with us. This is what Paul is trying to show us. Is this good news, brothers and sisters? This is wonderful news. We don't have to go to some guy now. Yeah, I don't know why we would really sign up for that, like chains on the ankles, going to the Holy of Holies on behalf of the people now through this work, Jesus' presence is among us. Sound good? Sounds good to me. You keep reading though, listen to this. Verse, uh, verse eight, we're almost done. Paul says, formally, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? And so if you tie this into the story of what's going, the context of Galatians, remember, is Judaizers, if you want to call them, or teachers that want to make Gentiles become Jews to be Christians, there is the tension just like Israel. Remember Israel. What happens when they get into the wilderness? They're, they're in slavery for 400 years under terrible conditions. And what do they want to do in the wilderness when they don't have water and food? They want to go back. Think about that. I mean, their people are oppressed. They have no freedoms. They're under the thumb of an oppressive king. And they get into the wilderness and the grumbling is, I want to go back there. And Paul knows this and knows that with the moving pieces in Galatians, the tension is what? The tension 
is to want to go back to kind of the Jewish teaching stuff, to the Jewish kosher laws. Should we have circumcision booths at Praxis Church? Right? Let's just go back. So, I mean, that would probably, you know, we talk about the church growth movement. That is probably like the anti-church growth movement book. Have circumcision booths at your church, right? Like, that just sounds crazy. But the pull was, in the comfort of that understanding of the Jewish, you know, kind of outworking and their religion, if you want to call it, trying to kind of work with these new Christians, the tension was for everybody to kind of push and go back, right? Don't go back. The idea of salvation and God's work in us. I mean, for us now, for, I just, it's so preachable for us is how easy it is to see God do crazy, amazing works of power and miracles. And then, you know, when we get in a season in a valley or whatever, we just kind of simply want to be drawn back to the way things were. Do not go back. Do you wish to be enslaved, he says, by them all over again? And then he says, you are observing special days and months and seasons and years And I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. Now, hold on a second. Some of you may be thinking, because we've really turned the last three or four years to more of a practice-based church, and we do a lot of spiritual disciplines together, and you hear about observing the church calendar, and you hear about things like Sabbath, And right now we're fasting weekly together during the season of Lent. And you hear these things, right? And you you see what we're doing in the community here. And you may read in verse 10 here, Paul say, listen, you're observing special days and months and seasons and years. And he says, I fear for you. And you're thinking, oh my goodness, like, what are we, would Paul say the same thing to us about, you know, some of the practices and the things that we're trying to kind of promote and engage? We need to deal with this question before we go home because this is the big one because this always comes up with Galatians. And the question is this, and I know you're thinking it because you're very intelligent, smart people. Is religion a good thing or is it a bad thing? Is religion, is it a good thing or is it a bad thing? We've had an interesting moment the last 15 years where, and I get it, I think it's uh, Jefferson Beth Key made this video, I think, about a decade ago about how, like, religion is kind of a bad thing and millions and millions of views. And actually what he was saying was really quite true. Like, this, much of what we've been talking about, the burden of trying to get to God is, can just do things to people that aren't good. But you kind of have that side of things. You've had teachers over the last number of years kind of talk about the end of religion, that what Jesus came to do was kind of shut religion down and stop religion. Then on the other side, you have guys like Brian Zahn and many other theologians and practitioners who would say, religion's a gr- relig- if we're talking about real religion, good religion, pleasing religion, but the practices and about a way of life as a community, then that's a good thing. So what is it? Is religion a bad thing or is it a good thing? Well, yes, right? It's all in how we define it. And it's interesting here and what I think Paul is trying to do because I think we've kind of highlighted over these weeks that Paul is very much talking about works of the law, right? He's talking about the things that you need to do to somehow be a Christian. Paul's very clear that these are the types of things that he pushes against kind of the works of the law. Now, depending on how we define religion is going to define whether it's good or it's not. 
Sometimes we, I've begun to use the kind of religious language more in a positive thing because I actually think what we're drawn into and called into as a community is a practice type of life, is a life of actually doing things. I know for some people that's really hard, but I actually think we've gotten some, maybe some things along the way with the Reformation not so good in the, in the thought that we wouldn't be doing things as people to kind of walk in the way of Jesus. And so, yeah, it's all it really depends in how we define the words. But I would think in our context, just as we kind of wrestle through this, we have to ask, are some of these things for our good? Are some of these practices for our good? You know, I think of Sabbath. We regularly focus on Sabbath here as a community. Is Sabbath good? Right down to like a neurological, like, physical level, like in your body type of level, it has been proven that taking a Sabbath, take all the Bible stuff out and just read medical studies and you realize Sabbath can be for my good, right? But it's interesting what Jesus would say about the Sabbath, that it was made for man, right? Not the other way around. That there's a sense in which the way in which we use this, our posture towards even what we would call religion is important. Sabbath can be good. Is tithing good? We're not under law to tithe in in the New Testament, but some of us have experienced in this room, not like God is a slot machine and I put in and then I get back, right? Which is promised a lot on Instagram, just just look around a little bit, right? Like this whole vision of I just give to get, but many of us in this room have through tithing and giving a certain amount away regularly come to the realization that God does not have to be a money, or money does not have to be a God in our lives, that there's something far better and it's being generous. What about prayer and fasting and silence and solitude, all these things that we talk about? It's, again, it's all about our posture towards it. It's all about how we use it. Are we climbing a ladder to get somewhere? Are we doing this because we're called into life with God? I think the best way to put it is this. Uh, one of my favorite philosophers, his name is Dallas Willard. He was a wonderful philosopher. He, and you've heard me quote this numbers of times, but he said this, grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. And I think when we ask questions and we dive in here to what Paul is even talking about in Galatians 4, I think we realize that effort is a good thing. But this is not what Paul is dealing with. Paul is dealing with a counter way of kind of the gospel, a way to kind of earn something. And we come from a posture that says, brothers and sisters, there is nothing to earn. The work has been done. Now we walk with Jesus. And like in any loving relationship, there are things we do and things we enter into. But think, I just want us to catch this before we go, okay? Think about that posture And how beautiful that could be for a community that wants to do things together. So instead of coming together or going to your community or whatever, that you try and do things to kind of earn your way up, what if we just postured ourselves, the earning is done, Jesus has done this, and now we get to practice together. Now we get to do. I love how Paul postures himself in this particular text because, you know, he's concerned for this community that they'll go back. And really, when you think about it, it may not seem like that big of a deal because there are this morning and across the world, there will be people today that will meet in rented places like this and cathedrals and warehouses and mega churches on mud hot floors all over the world. We have obviously evolved a bit over the last couple thousand years to this thing being across the world. But think about how big this moment is for Paul. 
Think if he doesn't address this community and doesn't call them to go back. Who knows? I mean, we could all say, well, God's in control and, you know, obviously would have led them into the future, but it's certainly, maybe that's true, sure. But I just think about, like, what's happening in the moment here, how important it is for Paul to deal with this because now, look, look around. Most of us in this room aren't a part of that original covenant, right? We're outside the covenant in the Old Testament and now we're brought in. This is the good news. So I just want us to remind us that when we come and we talk about things like religion and doing, sometimes we can paint a picture that doing and working and effort is a negative thing because that's religion and religion is bad. I would just say, one, this is not what Paul is talking about, but two, God is calling us continually into a life with him. So brothers and sisters, don't go back, right? Most of us in this room have experienced this grace of Jesus. Don't, don't. Don't go back. During the wilderness, right? During the, those times where it's just like everything is sucking me back to my previous life apart from Christ. Don't go back. Uh, even a moment like this right now, you know, sometimes we need these moments just to confront even sometimes the way we feel, the tension, the elemental forces that want to kind of draw us back to a different way of life. I would encourage us this morning, don't go back. Press in, move forward in the kingdom. And again, just let, let us be reminded that all of us are invited to the table. As we went to the table this morning, that is the signpost for us today of just remembering what Jesus has done. For Israel, it was salvation and Torah. For us, it is this great work of Jesus. And now, brothers and sisters, let's live by the Spirit. You with me? with me stand with me Nate's gonna come come Nate quick we're gonna close with this beautiful prayer together again normally we come to the tables at the end and uh, kind of close our morning at, with the tables but this morning let's just uh, I'd love to pray for us and then let's pray we'll pray this closing prayer but why don't you just kind of close your eyes just for a moment just right where you are Why don't you just take a moment and just even reflect on what we've been talking about. For some of us, this is the gospel. This is the good news of the kingdom, and we hear it over and over, but it may just be a moment where we're reminded of God's love for us. And I would just call us in this moment just to receive the Holy Spirit. It doesn't have to be spooky or weird or out there, but receive the Spirit who wants to dwell within us who wants to work within us. Come Holy Spirit, we pray. Rest on us, move in us. Thank you for my brothers and sisters for your work. Thank you that we're not burdened by laws and rules, but actually obedience is beautiful in your kingdom. It's a, it's a way in which we respond. We take hold, God, of what you're leading us into, and we take joy in it. It's hard, but we follow you. We follow you, King Jesus. Let's pray this prayer together as we close this morning. Let's say it with me. Ever-living God, whose will it is that all should come to you through your Son, Jesus Christ, inspire our witness to him that all may know the power of his forgiveness the hope of his resurrection, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. And I hope you can say with me, amen.